Well, if, if you've been here back along the last couple of weeks, you will be thinking um, about why did you change from got questions to this. We were having you guys submit some questions, and I was going to do a series like I did last week. I only got two questions. And so uh, to stress that over uh, four, five, six weeks um, might be a little difficult. Um, as a summer series, and so as I was praying, and I was really asking the Lord, and that's okay, but um, the couple of questions that we, we got were more current events type questions, and um, and so I'm like, Lord, you know, it's, it's okay if you want to read the record we're doing, and, uh, and so I, I, was, I was praying. I woke up early one morning, and I was just kind of asking the Lord about this, and, and I felt very strongly that He was taking me to Colossians, the book of Colossians. Um, this letter written by Paul and Timothy uh, to this church in Colossae. Um, over the last couple of years, I probably have read and studied this book more than any other. Um, at times, I will just read this whole letter um, in different translations, and, and so I really felt like the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, was kind of speaking to my heart. Uh, to, to, to dive into this book in a deep way. With that said, I will be addressing, through, as we move along, I'll be addressing the people of questions that were asked because I believe what this letter does is it speaks to the issue of our hearts as we deal with life and what God has called us as believers. And so uh, we, will be, we will be covering that, uh, but uh, we're going to start a new series today in the book of Colossians. And I'm very excited about it. I hope you are too. Great. Calling this uh, series the Battle for Supremacy. Have a cool title, huh? The Battle for Supremacy. What I'm asking you to do and encouraging you to do is, is read through it's a very short book of the Bible, and it's a letter. It's four chapters. Um, and I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to study it, meditate on it. Um, if you're looking for a way to pray, this is a, a great book to pray through. Um, and again, the reason why I chose this book is that it pertains to questions on current uh, events and it speaks to those issues, I believe, in a very clear way. All Scripture is awesome. Um, Paul says to Timothy that all Scripture is godly. All Scripture is godly. So when we start this whole idea and we are diving into the Word of God and we look at the Word of God, either we believe that or we don't. Right? When Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired and it is God-breathed. Either you believe that or you don't. And I know in today's culture and there's different theological ideas that, you know, that, well, Scripture depends on how you define it and how it, um, it's either God-breathed or it isn't. And I think that God speaks through His Word and He's very clear on how He speaks and then, and then the things that He speaks about. And so, but I love, again, I love the book of Colossians. This is a book that has spoken to my heart um, in, in a lot of ways. It's a short letter, but it builds on a foundation on life in Jesus, and then it gives some incredibly practical directives on how to live. But the reason why I love this book is how Paul writes it. Again, I, I think all of it, all, all the scripture is awesome. But the way he does it is such a, it has such a personal feel to it. He starts in chapter 1 and says, here's the foundation for chapters 2, 3, and 4. 
you need to understand chapter one. You need to understand what uh, what, what God is saying through chapter one because it builds this foundation that takes us everywhere else. If you don't get chapter one and you don't understand chapter one, the other stuff and even practical living and then God speaking how he speaks about uh, the current events or the things that we face, if you don't understand chapter one and you don't adhere to chapter one, the other stuff is then maybe left up to interpretation. But he builds this foundation. He says, start here and then where we go will make sense to you as we talk along. So first of all, let's look at the context and notes on Colossians. The first thing is, first and foremost, it's a letter. You know, when we when we look at the Bible, the Bible was written again by by, by people. There, you know, and I understand that we can get trapped into the Old Testament and reading the Book of Leviticus, and and then our minds can kind of explode on us um, with all these Levitical laws. But there's heart behind all of the the writings of Scripture, and when we get into these New Testament letters that Paul's writing. As a father taught, he's writing a letter. It's just like if you were sending a letter to someone you loved and cared about. And the reason why I'm saying that is we can sometimes get lost in that this is a book in the Bible that simply teaches us theology. And it will teach us about God. It will speak to God. It will speak to the truth of who God is. But this is a letter. This is written by a spiritual father to a church. And so he is giving them some directive, but he's saying, I love you, and, and, and there's heart behind it. And so he's writing this with Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's God breathed, God through the Holy Spirit to Paul, and he writes to the church and to us. Because Scripture was not just for the church of Colossae, it, 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 it spreads throughout time, and, and it speaks to us, so this letter is written to us as well, and how we should live. Again, written by Paul and Timothy, Paul was writing from prison. Um, you hear these prison letters, and several letters that he wrote to these churches were from prison. And, uh, and so he's really at a place where, you know, where, where life is kind of hard for him, but he is, the Lord is opening up incredible revelation for him to write and encourage. And so Paul didn't actually on his missionary journeys, he did not visit there. He had a co-worker named Epiphras, if you guys are looking for new baby names, that's a good one, I think. Um, little Epi. Um, but Paul had this co-worker that worked with him, and so Paul didn't actually go to Colossae. He, uh, he sent Epiphras there, and he was, you know, he, after a while he had these uh, missionary teams that were going, and they were starting churches. And, and God was moving, and people were coming to know Christ, and and, and, and so he's from a distance, but he's, he has Epaphras as kind of a, a, one of his spiritual sons, as Timothy was, and so he's writing this letter to the church, the believers in Colossians. It would be somewhat like, you know, if, if all the believers in Montevideo got together, and it was like Paul planting a church here, and he said, I'm writing this letter to the believers, the, the Christians that are in Montevideo, and, and he was saying that to Colossae, I'm writing this letter as a spiritual father to you. That I've received some information under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm giving it to you. So his reports led to some concerns about, and you can kind of see this unfold as we go through, there was some false belief creeping into the church. False teachers were instructing people by saying they, they needed to trust in man-made religion. 
It's really important that we understand that. And then we're going to read through the first chapter, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And Paul mentions that. He said, people have tried to wiggle their way in and give you man-made religion and stuff. In other words, religious stuff that is driven by the ideas of men and not by God. They've taken these ideas and then they've tried to preach them as truth, and he says it's not truth. Our truth is in God alone and what he speaks. And so they have been teaching that man-made religion and practice to do that to gain a full understanding of faith. And so Paul is writing in some ways to refute this idea, again, as a spiritual father saying, I want, I want to correct that, but he's pointing them that Christ alone is sufficient. In other words, the Word of God is our standard. The Word of God is our standard. We, when we veer out of the Word of God, we can get into man-made religion, and that's why we have to land back at the Word of God as being our standard. Um, probably the most valuable contribution that Colossians offers to our faith is the absolute focus, the, the priority of Jesus being supreme. We're going to get into that a little more in a moment. But Paul is purposely and intentionally pointing to the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. He is the authority. The gospel and our lives is all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. And that's what Paul is getting at in this letter. And he points them back to Christ instead of man, man-made way uh, of doing things. Um, I love this one commentary. I don't think it's up there, but uh, it says this about Colossians. It says, this, It is the reality of Christ's person as God and His work as the Savior of the world combined. And so He is God, He is Savior. And He says, When that is properly understood, it refutes false belief and behavior which seeks to find salvation in a man-made ritual and thought and results in transformed congregations who reject old patterns of living and seek to apply their newfound identity to all areas of their congregation, their home, and their public lives. I thought that was just such a great way of stating what kind of an overview of Colossians. Jesus is God, He's Savior, and He is authority. And when we understand that, it transforms how we live in it. It enables us to reject false ways of processing things. So in other words, Jesus is God and we are not Sorry to burst your bubble. He is Savior, we are not. He calls the shots. He makes the rules. He sets the standards in every area of life, and we don't. When we do it His way and not our own way, it transforms us into every area of our lives. If you track along with the, the, the one-year Bible, um, God is speaking to Solomon. Solomon is taking the throne. Well, actually, David, through, uh, you know, through God, is speaking, and he says, if you keep His way, your rule will be successful. Right? If you do it God's way. And that was... That was, in, if you look back in the Old Testament, and Israel was told from prophets, and it says, live God's way. Do it God's way. Live the way He wants you to live, and you will be successful, you will be peaceful, you will be victorious, and you will have everything that you are looking for in life, but you have to do it His way. 
And that was the challenge for them. It was the challenge for us. It's the, it always be the challenge of doing it God's way, His way. When we do it, it will transform every area of our lives. And again, this is not just their battle. It's our battle. And it's the battle for supremacy. And so with that, with that kind of laying in found, uh, you know, kind of as a, uh, as a foundation, let's dive into Colossians 1. We're going to look again. I'm going to stop because the uh, main part of the text is where Paul breaks out into kind of this worship of declaring who Jesus is. So let's look at Colossians 1. This letter is from Paul. It's a letter. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Most people believe that he was maybe dictating and Timothy was there with him while he was in prison and Timothy was writing Paul's words. We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is to believers. This is to believers. This is not to the world. This is not to the unsaved. This is not to people that don't know God. This is to the believers in Colossae. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And so he's praying grace and peace because we always pray for you. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I love that he starts out saying that we love, we, we deeply love you. It's a letter written, again, imagine writing a letter that someone you care about, and maybe they're dealing with some hard things, and maybe they adopted some wrong ways of thinking, but he's first of all not just getting into what he's going to receive. He's saying, I want you to first of all know that we love you and we're praying for you. We have our hearts for you. Our hearts are for you to be everything that God has called you to be. So, verse 5. Since which came from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. This is what changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. In other words, he's encouraging them. He's saying, when you're under persecution and when you're under hard times, don't give up. The message of the gospel is going on, on everywhere. It's bearing fruit. Lives are being changed. You guys need to be encouraged. You know, it doesn't, doesn't it feel like sometimes in life that you're the only one? When you're wrestling with something, when you're going through a hard season, the enemy will lie to you and say, you're, you're the only one. And, and a lot of these churches, especially in this, this day and age, we're dealing with intense persecution. Some of them were arrested for being believers. I mean, Paul was even in prison for, for being a, a follower of Jesus. And, and so they understood in the context of getting into the first century church is, is part of it was hard. It was very difficult. And Paul is his father. He's saying, I love you. I care about you. We're praying for you. But don't give up hope. The message of the gospel is being spread. Be encouraged. It's bearing fruit. Don't give up. And I think he says that to us. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult season and you're not alone, God sees what you're walking through. And so verse 8, he says, uh, talking about Epaphras, he said, our beloved co-worker in verse 7, and he told us about the, the love for others that the Holy Spirit's given you. So he's not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We asked God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. What a great prayer. We're, we're asking that God would make his will known to you to give you knowledge and understanding about how he is and who he is. 
Because when you, what he's saying is when you get that, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. That's what he's getting at. He's going to have a love for God. Folks, walking with Jesus is more than just following rules and doing, trying to, to be better. It's understanding that we have a loving relationship with a Savior. And when we understand that we love Him and He loved us, then He it to drive you to live the life God wants you to live. Yes, there are standards. Yes, there are, uh, I want you to live lives that will honor and please the Lord ultimately. I want you to bear fruit and grow, and as, as he says, that you learn to know God better and better. And he's talking about relationships. I want you to know God more and more. Yes, there are standards by which to live by, but if you don't understand that God loves you, we're praying for you, we care about you, but God loves you. And live out of that place. And then you will want to please God. Verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with His glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. And there, there it goes. There's the proof that what they were walking through was very difficult. There's man-made religion. People were trying to change the nature of the gospel. Some other churches were, you know, they were dealing that it was works and that you had to go back to works to be saved. And, and he said, we're praying that you'll have endurance and patience that you will walk it out faithfully. God loves you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then he says that may you be filled with joy. God wants you to be filled with joy as we're walking with Him. Always thanking Father. He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to people who live in the light. For He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That's the good news. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And He's transformed us into the kingdom of the dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Isn't that cool? What a great start to a letter. It's what Jesus has done. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. He loves you. He's purchased your freedom. He bought it. Freedom isn't really free, right? He purchased it for us. He went to the cross. He did that in our place. And so Paul is laying the foundation here to get where he's going. saying, Remember, this is what we're praying for you. God loves you. He wants you to walk in the understanding of the gospel. Don't forget it. And then here's the key verse and where we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our time. Starting in verse 15, Paul, and it's written somewhat like a worship song. He's writing this letter and he breaks out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is. And it's beautiful. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme. Okay, we need to get that, again, get that revelation supreme. And I have been referring to Jesus, first preeminent ruler, ultimate authority. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation. Not part of creation, not some of creation, not a little bit of creation. All of creation is under His supremacy. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can, can see and the things we cannot see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else. And so this is the deity of Christ. 
that even before he was a baby on the earth, he was there, he was ruling, he helped God create, it was through him that God created, and then he pulled all creation together, that it all held together because of Jesus. Do you see what Paul is declaring here? And our, the biggest thing, folks, is that we have to understand, we have to do this with our, each of our individual heart, either this is true or it is not. Verse 18, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in what? First in what? Either that's true or it isn't. And so then we have to wrestle in the idea that my appeal to you as the church, my appeal to the world, my appeal to anyone that lives is understanding of who God is, who Jesus is. And if, you, if people don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in God, then we have to have a separate conversation about the things of the earth. But if we adhere any way in any shape, form, or that, that we say we call the name of God or we call ourselves a Christian, then He is supreme over everything. And we begin there. For God in all His fullness is pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So let's stop there. It calls Him supreme. Some translations say preeminent. Let's look at what this means. Supreme and preeminent, highest in rank or authority. Paramount, sovereign, chief, of the highest degree, character and importance. He's the greatest, above and superior to everything and everyone else, surpassing all others, the final say, the final authority on all things, and then Jesus is supreme and preeminent over everything. Okay, I could just drop the mic and we could all leave right there. Okay, we'll be done. And that's why I love this letter. It's because of what Paul is saying about Jesus. He's laying the foundation of who Christ is. And he calls him, under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit, he's calling him supreme and preeminent. Preeminent. And again, this is a foundational revelation that he wants us to get before we move forward as he talks about life. And he has a lot to say about the practical things of life. And this will be the revelation that we will always need to come back to. Because I believe that this, this is the very revelation that is the battle for all of our hearts on a daily basis. We all have this battle. The battle is supremacy. It's the battle for the throne of our hearts. That's why the nice little throne up here. Keep a little visual, but it's a battle for the throne. It began like that with Adam and Eve, and it is still our battle today. It's the battle with who will be on the throne. Will I be supreme, or will God, will Jesus be supreme? And this is a battle that we will all fight, and we will all face in the day of the That's why Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you take up the cross and win. Daily, every day, because he knows, and it says this about Jesus, he knows what's in the heart of man, and he's frankly not that impressed. He loves us, 
but he's not that impressed. He knows what's in our heart, and this is the battle every day. Is will I take control? Will I run to the throne again and again? And Adam and Eve, this is what they dealt with, and this is at the very beginning because God gave them, He created them, put them in this garden, and this garden is their sphere of influence. We all have our own personal garden. And that's why what we learn from Adam and Eve, and, and again, don't get lost in whether the fruit was an apple, a peach, or whatever. You know, that, that's a theological discussion that, that, that just gets lost in the woods. The idea is that God created them. He loved them. He didn't need mankind, but He creates them. He puts them in this garden. And He says, you have free will, and you have the ability to govern and steward and manage this place I've given you, this life I've given you. But he said, there are conditions with this. And God made it very clear. There are things that you can do, and there's things that you cannot do. And it's not because I'm giving you this because I love you or don't love you, or I'm just trying to ruin your joy. It's because I want the best for you. And there was this tree in the garden. He said, "You are not to touch of it." There, this is a this is a do not. Why did he put it there? For the frankly, for the gift of free will. He wasn't going to force them to serve him. And God doesn't force anyone. That's why part of the response of the church to the world is we can't make anyone be a Christian. We pray for them. We love them. We serve them. And ultimately, it's between them and God. But we have a sphere of influence, and what we learned from this lesson of Adam and Eve is we all have a garden that we live in. And the garden is our sphere of influence. It's the life that God has given us. And all of us have a, a different place in life. And it's our marriage, it's our children, it's our job, it's our school, it's our friends, it's the people that we're around. And God has basically said to every human being, you have your own personal garden of Adam and Eve. But I want you to do it my way. I've given you the ability. He's the owner. And that's why we get this idea of stewardship. But you, are, you have the opportunity to manage. And you can call some shots. And you can even put yourself on the throne. And people do. The children of Israel wrestled with this. Where they did what was right in their own eyes. That wasn't a compliment. They rejected God. And they said, nope, we will sit here on the throne of our lives. We'll call the shots. We'll call the rules. We'll say what's yes and what's no. God, we remove you. What happened were the consequences of captivity, hardship, heartache, sinfulness, grief, you name it. That was the end game. But God said, I'm going to let you manage it. You're not the owner. But the problem is, is when the manager thinks that they're the owner. That's the battle for the throne. What did Adam and Eve do? Do you have things that you can do and enjoy? But here's things that you cannot do. And for your own good, I love you, don't do this. And they did. And their battle is our battle. And it's a battle for the throne of our hearts. Who will be supreme? In this definition that we just talked about, supreme and preeminent. When we call the shots, when the children of Israel said, you know, we will do what's right in our own eyes, they said, we are the highest point in authority. Why don't you, God? We will say what we need to do. And, and, and there, there again, what, what was their battle is our battle. That Jesus has given us this life to manage, not own. 
to manage, not own. Says I, I have my ways of doing things will lead you to joy, peace, contentment, grace, love, and finishing well. You doing it your way, greed, heartache, sinfulness, and the end leading to destruction. And it's the difference between who is supreme and who has the supreme rule in our life. So again, either Jesus is supreme, and that's what Paul is saying in Colossians 1. That's why the implications to Colossians 1 have everything to do with us as followers of Jesus. It is one of the most staggering, to me, one of the most staggering arguments for who Christ is or who Christ is not. And you read Colossians 1, and Paul says he is preeminent, he's supreme, he's first in everything or nothing. You can't have it both ways. So then, when we become preeminent, we define as opposed to submitting to Him. We take the lead, and, and then instead of submitting to Him, God, what would you have me to do? What do you say about this? What do you say about every other alignment? And that's why Paul is laying this foundation. He goes, because the other stuff won't make much sense if you don't get this. If you don't believe this and submit to the idea of Jesus being supreme, the other areas of life, or the rules and the regulations that God puts for our good, they will they will represent to you, you know, meanness, heartache, and you know, God's just being oppressive. But if He is first and we believe that He loves us, and we believe that He has the best interest in mind for us, then it makes sense. But supremacy is everything. So Jesus is supreme and preeminent. And again, you see the, the definition over everything. So what does it mean for us? What's Paul driving at? And, and he gets into practical daily living as this letter unfolds. And I encourage you to go home and read it and study it. We're going to get more into that in the weeks ahead. And he's saying, if, you know, if you want to be the person who God wants you to be, Jesus has to be supreme and preeminent in your life. He has to be on the throne. And every day we'll have this battle. Lord, forgive me because that decision I just made or that choice I just made was me being supreme and preeminent and not you. And I have to God, please help me get off the throne, put me back on it, and submit to Him. It's a beautiful thing. And so that's why, again, this foundation of Colossians 1 is so important in moving forward. Also, to look at our own lives, the culture around us, current events that seem to be causing lots of confusion and debate, even among Christians. But if Jesus is supreme over all things, and we make Him first, and we put Him as preeminent in our lives, those things start getting more and more clear. There's no confusion. Again, He's God, I'm not. He's first, I'm not. He's the highest authority, I am not. He's the greatest and He's superior to everything, and I am not. He has the final say, and I don't. I like this quote from Matt Chandler. My son put it on Facebook yesterday, but I thought this was perfect in where we're going. He said, God makes known to us the path of life from Psalm 1611. So he lays before us throughout the scriptures the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. 
what God is doing every time He gives a command is He is wooing us, calling us to how He designed life to work. When God says, Thou shalt not, He's not trying to rob you of anything, rather, He is wooing you into what it means to live a truly abundant life. Great quote. That's a Colossians 1 quote. Is when God gives standards and God gives rules and regulations, it's not to steal our joy. But He's saying, I have. I have the best interest in mind. I, I want you to live the most fulfilled and joyful life possible. So he's supreme. If Colossians 1 is true of Jesus, then he's the one that is the authority on life. He's the one who tells me how I should live. He's the one that tells me what kind of worker I should be. He's the one that tells me what my attitude should be. He's the one that tells me how to, and helps me how to forgive when someone's offended me. He's the one that teaches me what kind of a Christ follower I should be. He's the one who defines marriage, not me. He's the one who defines and created sexuality, not me. He's the one that tells me how to treat people, how to be a good student, how to be a great husband or a great wife or a, a, a child of God. Because what Paul is pointing to is the reality that he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first of life. He is the author of life, and by him all things hold together. He is the Savior. He is also God. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only truth. And therefore, relativism, subjectivism, and humanism are all false. He's the only way to eternal life. He's the bread of life. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of living water. He's the only redeemer. He's the one and true God. And these are declarations he made of himself and Paul makes of him. So it's either true or it isn't. And I believe he's very clear about all these things. So there shouldn't be confusion. Why is there a debate in culture? And I believe that there's confusion and a debate in culture is because we've removed Jesus from being supreme and preeminent and made ourselves supreme and preeminent. I believe God is calling us again to a new way to humble ourselves to who He is and to honor Him and give Him rightful place to be supreme, first, preeminent over all things in each of our lives. So he pauses and talks about the supremacy of Christ, and then we're going to look at the end of this chapter and how he ends these thoughts. So this includes you, who were once far away from God, and I love that he said, this includes you. You guys were once far away from God. In other words, don't forget where you came from. We are all broken and need Jesus. We're all broken and need a Savior. It's very easy for us to look at the world and say, well, they're broken and we categorize sin. And we, and we, Paul said, don't forget. And in 1 Corinthians, he lists these sins and he says, don't forget the perfection were some of you, these things. And he even says here, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
how beautiful is that? So what he's saying is, when you get this, when you get the idea that you were purchased by God, you were bought with a price, Jesus laid his life down for you, he loves you, he's made a place in his presence for you. And then because when we surrender, when we give him our lives, he says, I'm going to present you to the Father, blameless and holy, without guilt. And why is he saying this right after the preeminence? He's saying, guys, understand that when you understand how loved you are, it makes making him supreme and preeminent a bit easier. To a God that loves me, then I go, I want you to be supreme. I want to lay down my life for you. I want to reject the sin of my life. I want to reject those things that keep me far from you because I see your love for me. I understand a little bit of how you feel about me. And now it's not just me trying to rigorously follow a set of rules, but I love you and I now I want to live your way and I want to make you supreme by what you've done. And you're presenting me before the Father, blameless and guiltless. And in verse 23, he says something, and it was kind of a, again, a fatherly warning, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. The reason why I said that was there was this idea, again, of people trying to creep in and trying to change the gospel and giving these man-made things and trying to shift the gospel to something that it's not. And that's why Paul said, stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Paul's work for the church, again, this is kind of the title, he says, I am glad when I suffer you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church and proclaiming his entire message to you. So he's going through a lot. He said, I'm suffering a lot for this, but it's all worth it. The gospel is worth it. I'm suffering in my body. I'm in prison. He said, that's why I'm proclaiming this to you. It's worth it. It's going to be worth it. Hold on. Keep steady in your faith. Keep running after God. Keep loving Jesus. And then he says, This message was kept secret for centuries and generally tested, and now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. At that time, some of the Jewish people thought that salvation was just for them. Said, no, it's for everyone. And he said, This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone. Sometimes it's okay to warn, but you do it in love and grace. It's not to be judgmental. We are not to judge. God is, God is the judge, but it's okay to tell people about a judgment that's coming. To warn people, teach them with all the wisdom God's given you. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within you. And we end chapter 1. And we end there. As we move forward again and, and getting to some of the practical things that Paul will talk about in this letter, as it pertains to us individually as believers in Jesus, people, you know, whether you're, whether you love God or you're far away from God, maybe you're searching, you are welcome, God loves you. But what this boils down to is who is preeminent, who is supreme in your life? 
if you read Colossians 1 and you read what Paul is saying about Jesus, either it is true or it is not. If it is true, then what do I do with that information? And Paul says, I'm going to make this very clear to you. That's why I think that, again, people that get in all these theological debates out there and all this stuff that can get lost in translation and we're overthinking it. And that's why Jesus put a real child in the middle of the, the group. He said, unless you receive the kingdom like a child, you won't get it. If you overthink it and you overcomplicate it, you won't get it. And there's some very clear things. That, and I didn't understand that there's some hard things to understand in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not. But I believe what God is calling us to. I believe that what Colossians 1 says makes things very clear and I believe removes the debate. Christ is supreme and preeminent over everything. And therefore, we either do it His way or our way. He's on the throne or I'm on the throne. And we make that decision. And so we all have to make that decision. In your spirit influence, in your life, who will be supreme? Stay humble. Battle every day to remove yourself from the throne. Put Jesus there again and again and again. Don't have to do it. I have to do it. But make Him supreme and preeminent in your life, in every area of your life. And you will be glad you did. Let's stand. Jesus, we love you, we honor you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts, all of our lives, God, that we would make you preeminent. Lord, you already are, but we would make you preeminent, supreme in our own lives. Lord, I pray as we go from here that we would live every day humbly before you. Lord, that as you ask things, and as you speak into very practical things, as you speak into relationships, what does it mean in relationships and the different things of life, the different sphere of life, that, Lord, when we make you preeminent, we make you supreme, God, that it really starts making more sense. We lift you up. We honor you. And I close with what Paul says about you, Jesus. You are the visible image of the invisible God. You existed before anything was created, and you are supreme over all creation. For through you, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see. He was strong, kingdom, rulers, and authorities in the natural world. Everything was created through you, Jesus, and for you. You existed for anything else, and you hold all creation together. Jesus, you are the head of the church, which is your body. You are the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And you are first in everything. For God in his fullness is pleased to live in you, Jesus. And through you, God reconciled everything to himself. We made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of your cross, your blood, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life to us. God, we in turn give our lives back to you. God bless you. Have an awesome day and an awesome week.